everyone. I'm speaking today with Esther Stanford Kose. Is that correct? Kose? Kose. Kose. Uh, with Esther yeah. Stanford Kose. Esther is a reparations legal expert. Uh, she works within the auspices of the Pan African Reparations Coalition of Europe. She's an interdisciplinary scholar and activist and a passionate community advocate educator and historian, as well as being an author and a public speaker. So Esther, you're a modern day freedom fighter. That's how I, I think of absolutely, you. Ab absolutely, absolutely. That's how I describe myself as well. Great. So welcome to Third Space. We're really delighted to have you here today. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to start uh, to, by diving in with a big question. Uh, given mm -hmm. the current systemic and existential crisis that we're facing globally through the climate climate change and ecological breakdown could you tell us about your work and its significance in the face you know in relationship to this crisis sure that is a big question but it's an excellent question i think to um begin to explain my work as a reparationist and so when reparationist basically meaning a reparation scholar activist and campaigner um, and when people think about reparations it's very much um, narrowed to issues of financial compensation but essentially reparations is about stopping harm and repairing damage and as a reparationist, one of the lenses that are, my work um, takes place, through which my work takes place, is advocating for planet repairs. Now, planet repairs um, refers to the fact that when safeguarding the rights of past, present and future generations, there is a need to proceed from a standpoint of pluriversality. Um, and that highlights the nexus between reparatory justice, environmental justice, and also cognitive justice in articulating the impetus to repair holistically our relationship with and inseparability from Mother Earth, the environment, and the pluriverse, giving due recognition to indigenous knowledges in contrast with Western or Eurocentric enlightenment ideals that separated humanity from nature and thereby justifying um, capital accumulation. So planet repairs is the remedy for this uh, system or way of a globalized system of inequality and injustice which gets referred to in different ways by different peoples, um, but it's referred to sometimes as global white supremacy, um, uh, neoliberal globalization, uh, capitalism are, are kind of other ways that people define a system of destruction and death that is about extracting uh, and extractivism. And it is about commodifying people and uh, mother nature and you know the very planet that we live on and this thinking this mindset has dominated uh, 
political systems, economic systems, legal systems, which have justified plunder and conquest and dispossession, extractivism and exploitation. And um, the anecdote to that is this planet repairs, that we cannot just see the harm as being done to people, specific groups of people who have experienced various forms of historical and enduring injustice or contemporary injustice, such as indigenous people, um, African uh, peoples, Asian peoples, other peoples who've been colonized, for instance, Aboriginal people. Uh, but it's also about recognizing the harm has also been done to our earth mother that which sustains all life and which is described in many different ways by many different groups, societies and cultures as well. So my work is about being part of that paradigm change from a paradigm of extractivism and exploitation and oppression and competition and hierarchy um, you know, among groups, whether it's on racial lines or gender lines, sex lines or, you know, class lines, but also looking then at how we bring about a new world system, new world order uh, that as a reparationist, I would refer to as a post-reparations global order that is based on planet repairs, where we can once again get back into a state of balance and equilibrium and knowing you know how to take when we've taken enough and also knowing that we have not only um, rights but we also have responsibilities and we have duties and there is this symbiotic relationship between people human beings mm -hmm. and all other beings you know that we encounter on the planet and in truth in the cosmos uh, including non-human relations as indigenous people refer to. So that's really what my work is about. And it's a huge area of work because it, it really has no limits or boundaries. Uh, a reparations uh, paradigm and lens is one that is totally holistic. It is about stopping contemporary wrongs and harms and abuses. Uh, but it's then about, it's not just about resisting the system and fighting against the system and what, what is the here and now. It's about prefiguring that new world, right. new relations, new communities, um, new ways of being and actually relating to all people, but all, all life forms mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. That's huge and very comprehensive. Um, that's what I've always, when I first discovered your work, actually, Esther, that's one of the things that really drew me to you is the holistic nature of it, um, which obviously has foundations in your culture, right? In yeah, absolutely. Culture. So I guess one of my, and I, I've encountered that, it's interesting, part of my life, I've spent, I've spent a lot of part of my life in India and I've studied the systems there and philosophy, which also has an um, mm -hmm. endemic holistic nature uh, to mm -hmm. it in the Dharma, yeah. philosophically. But, um, and obviously the West, which is, as you said, it's the current global paradigm, really economically particularly, but, um, yeah. but the worldview of separation is so endemic. 
um, it's it's deeply entrenched, right, in, in, in our culture. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about how, what are the steps? I know you do a lot of education, but yes. there's a huge gap between what you're talking about and the actual, you know, current. The pattern. actual end, the end goal that we're seeking, yeah. which is, which is not necessarily the end, but it's a vision right. of, of a different world. And so the steps are, I mean, one of the, I work, first of all, I work in order to accomplish this objective. Mm -hmm. I work in a very um, interdisciplinary way. I work with many different groups, organizations and movements as well, because mm -hmm. ultimately, any type of social change, progressive social change, or any type of change um, requires people, right. yeah? Right. And that's why for me, movements are important. Yes. So I, I, my work straddles several different movements, you know, what would be called African reparations movements, um, environmental movements, I would also say social justice movements, largely looking at issues of uh, inequalities amongst and within groups and among peoples, racial justice movements. And all of this work that is done by movement builders and movement adherents contributes to creating the critical mass that is necessary to bring about that change. Whether it's through people embracing alternative ways of seeing and being and relating and actually embodying their own humanity on the planet, or whether it's through um, the collective power that we can amass to hold powerful institutions mm -hmm. that are actually um, harming not only people, but our planet right. to account. Right. So all of that is important in terms of building the people power to be the change. Right. Because we cannot rely on those who are benefiting from this death style, as, as many have, have articulated it. We cannot expect them to actually want to end the benefits that they get voluntarily. That's right. So that's going to take people power. And so um, I say that because that then sort of helps explain why it's important to work, you know, across many different groups and organizations who are doing this work and making a contribution and they are creating ripple. So my work, um, I do a large part of my work within African heritage communities globally. I'm based in London, but my work is international. So I work you know, with communities on the continent of Africa, in Abiyala, the so-called Americas, across mm -hmm. Europe, also in um, Oceania and the Pacific, um, and also Asia. But I do that through many different structures. And one of the structures that's been really, really critical to support African heritage community organizing has been the work that I do through Extinction Rebellion Internationalist Solidarity Network, which is a uh, section within Extinction Rebellion in the UK, 
that has been um, developed by African heritage and Asian heritage and other um, majority world communities to really look at how we can, as we refer to it, a, a merge rebellion, which right. is the fact that many of our communities are in resistance. Yes. and have been in resistance for centuries from the time that we experienced colonizers mm -hmm. and colonization and the despoilation of our mother earth and our environment, our lands, um, you know, the dispossession of peoples in terms of trafficking mm -hmm. um, through enslavement and colonization and now neo-colonialism. So the Extinction Rebellion International Solidarity Network was formed soon after Extinction Rebellion in the UK was formed in 2018 as a campaign of rising up. And it was always known that true rebellion needed to also learn from yeah. communities who'd been in resistance in the global south, so-called. Mm -hmm. And so we worked with XR co-founders, Mm -hmm. to form the Extinction Rebellion International Solidarity Network, which is the only space that's really led by, um, you know, what we refer to as majority world communities, mm -hmm. um, that specifically looks at how we can merge the rebellion praxis mm -hmm. that our different communities of resistance are engaged in, and how we can um, affect different types of internationalist solidarity, which is also a long-standing tradition of, um, you know, the majority population of Europe who are racialized as, as white. Right. There are long, you know, long-standing internationalist solidarity traditions going back to the campaigns against chattel enslavement mm -hmm. and colonization, anti-imperialist movements and so forth. And, and so our work is twofold. It is about catalyzing um, resistance and supporting and amplifying the voices of resistance of different community activists and their organizing structures in the Global South, but then also working to do the same in Europe mm -hmm. and to help communities in Europe also remember their own heritage of abolitionism in different ways mm -hmm. and um, to find common cause. So that work is about really um, in terms of in XR, Extinction Rebellion, there are circles and each circle has a mandate and the mandate of the Extinction Rebellion International Solidarity Network, which we refer to as XRISN, is to um, foster mutually respectful cooperative and beneficial connections with people from existing grassroots communities of resistance on the front lines of the climate and ecological crisis in both the global south and global north who are working on environmental justice so that one these perspectives get represented through our XR UK in its own strategy and tactics on waging rebellion but also, secondly, and very importantly, that there is a two-way learning between mm. XR UK and people from these communities of resistance. Right. So that two-way learning is action learning. It's learning through doing, mm -hmm. okay? And also 
challenging notions of um, what has been referred to as white saviorism, and this somehow, um, you know, or white persons, or it's been referred to historically as the white man's burden, that, okay, there's a climate and ecological crisis, we've got to save the world. That is, that, that is just not the case, because people are saving themselves. But because a lot of the time the mass media just focuses on um, NGOs, it doesn't focus on actual movements of, of resistance on the ground that are, are challenging the whole paradigm Mm-hmm. of even the charitable and aid giving sectors and so forth and then right. they're about restoring sovereignty and self-determination so that people themselves can can actually um renew and regenerate their own ways of being in the world which for centuries have been far more harmonious than what right. we see as the dominant paradigm today so I have a couple questions coming out of that. You said a lot. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> great Esther. Um, so uh, yeah, the one thing one thing that jumped out to me, the question I have is I understand, and I've actually been I've been part of Exar at you know, I've been part of the rebellion in the past. Um, but one thing that struck strikes me about the you know this the coalition the the movement together which is fantastic you know i think that's very very needed and as you said the exchange the respect for the resistance that's been happening in the global south plus the solution that the global south actually represents mm-hmm. I feel that, mm-hmm. that it's there it's in the although it's been colon you know as we know colonialism disrupted a lot of the deeper knowledge systems but they're there they still exist as you said you know they're very active um so i have one question about that uh and i appreciate the movement amongst particularly young people to challenge white saberism and uh you know the, the sort of in yeah embedded you know sort of entitled um position that you know the west has taken but i'm wondering uh how much we can actually do that without having a deeper understanding of our own history and the mm. destruction of mm-hmm. colonialism and its active, as you said, legacy today. Because I find sometimes, and I'm, I'm not speaking for the people you're working with the, in Exar, but sometimes in the circles I'm, I'm, I'm in, which are people that think about things, but is that there's a lot of talk about white privilege and acknowledging that Mm. but it's almost like unless you've looked at the deep kind of moral Mm. reprehensibility of Mm. of of, you know a big part of our history it's very Mm -hmm. hard to disrupt that i find um you know that sense of entitlement basically um yeah, so yeah. I want to ask about that, because without that knowledge of history, how, how deep is that going to be? And you're, and you're, and you're very right, Mary. Uh, I mean, as, as an African person born in the diaspora, um, we talk a lot about miseducation, right? Mm-hmm. And that miseducation of ourselves, but actually that miseducation is across the board. Yeah because we're all miseducated under the same dominant paradigms, even in many of our homelands where supposedly we have independence, but yet the structures of coloniality remain. 
in, in law and politics and governance and the education system and in religious systems, which is, is a huge legacy of colonization today. So you're right, that self-learning mm. um, has to be um, embarked upon because mm. when that doesn't happen, because at the moment we, we're in a, you know, we're in an era of cancel culture and political connect correctness, right? right? So people learn the basics. And the basics are, yeah, you got to know about white privilege and what have you. You go through the basics, but unless people are prepared to really go into that deep study themselves, of themselves and of their own lineage. Right. And this is one of the um, you know, problems that we encounter because many people, for instance, racialized as white, um, have not really claim the space to do that work in mm -hmm. the same way that communities racialized as non-white have done. Right. Because right. the focus often tends to be on, and in a UK context, they use this terminology of black or minority ethnic or ethnic communities or, or non-white communities or whatever, however it gets described. And so what actually happens is that people racialized as white today or of Europe, global Europe, whether they're in Australia, Canada, wherever, South Africa, um, don't necessarily go through that process of internal um, self repairs and decolonization. Right. Because there's all that coloniality, whether yeah. it is the way in which people have been taught to think of themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Directly or indirectly, right. and basically having the systemic power that is globalized that reinforces distorted notions of self, yeah. um, grandiosity, white supremacy, that also gets internalized. Exactly. And so this work of repair, mm -hmm. self-repair, actually begins with self-repair. The reparations begins with self-repair. Right. Okay? Yeah. Self-transformation. Mm -hmm. And that is a mutual obligation. It's not just for people that have been colonized directly because right. actually we know that colonization has also happened in Europe yeah. in the UK the United Kingdom and the legacies of that is still very much present today so it's a myth to think that yeah. communities that you know racialized as white haven't experienced colonization but they've experienced it differently Yes. And yes. so a large part of the work that I do with others as a reparationist is about building cross community um, dialogue and also network so that we can explore these paths together. Yes. Yeah. So people need to have the space to go through that right. themselves yes. according to their own group or their own identity right. or what is resonating right. for them. But what is important is to have that, that exchange, that dialogue, because Correct. what we often find is that we, that's how we can build the sense of, hang on a minute, we've all kind of been through something, but the myths that we've learned and inherited were told slightly different to you as they were to us, and it reinforces this notion of separation. That's right. And competition yes. and division and superiority and inferiority. This notion of um, guilt and shame, which I believe is a kind of ancestral carryover, whether it's, you know, we talk about black um, shame, uh, shame and white guilt. The mm -hmm. shame of 
going through something like enslavement colonization the guilt mm -hmm. of knowing that your group members of your group elite people within your group have actually been people who right. have been perpetrators of these systems of domination right. and that does leave a psychological psychic spiritual legacy and yes. impact on both groups of people right. as it were or all peoples who've been implicated in this can i ask you a little question around that esther yes because um, obviously that prevent that can create a barrier to what you're saying yeah. for real dialogue and really really finding out our own uh you know as you said the self-inquiry which is also a cultural inquiry right knowing yes. who we are you know who we are culturally yeah, exactly. well, that, yeah. so that puts that but i have thought about um i've wondered because there's such a and i understand that guilt is not is very paralyzing right but i've sometimes wondered at the aversion to facing in a way a healthy shame and i'm now talking about white the white side mm. of that paradigm because yeah. i personally feel that um there is something deeply shameful about it and it's not Absolutely. to me that's a little bit different than guilt it's it's something about letting that in there's no other word for it mm. i mean and unless I do then the more I do that and I think it's an ongoing process I don't think you do it once absolutely and the more you find no, out, it, as you said it's it's lifelong it's lifelong lifelong actually. yeah exactly exactly and the more you do that in an interesting way I think it can disrupt at a visceral level and I'm not talking about just intellectual because intellectually we're all very smart and we yeah. can like you said politically get with the lexicon and etc but viscerally disrupt that sense of superiority of well we're more advanced even materially because we've earned it kind of which i feel like even if you can intellectually sort of disown that at a visceral level unless you let in wow what we're standing on in the west is there's an, an enormous amount of blood as you know under that absolutely take that absolutely. in I think there can still be a layer, even of pride about now I'm the I'm the one at the liberal edge, you know, acknowledging all this. Yeah. But I just think there's something very deep here that um, and personally, my partner at Third Space, we one of the things we want to do in call in collaboration, obviously, but is to is to bring into the schools a different kind of education about this. So it means another topic, but I just no, no, it's very connected. And in yeah. fact, um, one of the organizations that I'm part of in the UK, um, I'm a patron of actually, is called the Racial Justice Network mm -hmm. and um, based in Leeds. And one of the programs that I am supporting is that I'm on a, me I'm a mentor for a course that is on, for white people, people racialized as white, doing yeah. precisely what you've, what you've been speaking out. Mm -hmm. So doing that exploration of self, Right. And the mentors are all uh, people racialized as non-white, in particular of African heritage. And we're there to kind of provide a degree of quality control. But the, the sessions are for white people. Right. But then it's about when all this kind of self-exploration is being done, how is that then translated back to action, movement right. building, 
showing um, genuine solidarity to right. actually help be the change. Right. And so that's why people like me who are connected into life struggles become really important in the process right. because it's then about, okay, you've gone through this work, then this these are the kind of ways in which, you yeah. know, would be good for you to demonstrate right. that actually it's not just... Um, you know, a psychological reawakening wow. or what yes. have you. Yeah, but it's actually not. about embodying that right. praxis in a way that is material right. and the, in a way that is contributing to the struggles of different communities who've been experienced you know, racism and um, other forms of imperial imperialism, enslavement, colonization, genocide and everything. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm finding that quite an interesting process because uh, all the traders are white, but they've also gone through their own process of, of um, yeah, self-decolonization and a, a process of self-repair. But that can't just effectively be done by themselves as a group. It, right. it does involve yes. that interface with those who've also come come from communities that are racialized as non-white that have been harmed by these practices yes. and that's yes. that's where the checking in comes and that authenticity in terms of a process where we are able to honestly explore the tensions that come up the struggles that community white people have a racialized as white mm -hmm. uh, people racialized as white have and also to give the space where they can actually discuss these issues without feeling as though they are wrong or they're not going to be told off because they say something that might not be politically correct, which is the kind of, uh, you know, environment that we live in today where people then become sometimes just a bit fearful yes. of saying something because it might be the wrong thing. Yeah. And they don't know how that will be respond, responded to. So, you know, there is a degree of privacy where the group meets, but it's white people checking, checking with white people, but then coming back to the reference group of non-white people where we're able to talk through some right. of these um, explorations and ways they were handled by the facilitators. And maybe we might suggest a different way and we might have a different interpretation of the realities that people express. Yeah. No, that's I think it's quite, you know, I've done work like that in the past. Um, I've also done work with um, mental health professionals in um, for Kent Social Services in the UK, and largely whom were racialized as white, um, who were having to work with clients who were racialized as non-white. Okay. And part right. of this, this was part of race and equalities training, right. which I didn't just do the standard stuff of, well, this is what the law says, this is, you know, all the, the terminology and blah, blah, blah. But it also involved the, the people themselves going through um, an exploration of their own identity sure. and who right. they are and yes. what is the history and baggage. And what I found was that a lot of the white um, people that I was working with had never actually had the space or thought it was important to discuss identity because, the, you know, they were the norm. 
Yes, exactly. So, and, and then conversation, well, I'm not white, you know, I don't identify yes. with that. I don't even identify with necessarily the country I was born or what have right. you. And right. that becomes a way of exploring yes. um, the privilege and the power yes. and why that matters, but also looking at um, the processes of developing a healthy mm -hmm. white identity. That's very, um, no, that's, that's profound actually. Yeah. Because saying. there's a lot of, yeah. there's what's called racial identity theory. Right that have been developed by psychologists. Mm -hmm. And there are white racial identity theories. So going through, as you oh. said, that process of feeling shame and guilt, mm. but leading to where people can claim, well, this is what I am, this is my heritage. Yes. And then rediscovering aspects of the heritage that are not just premised on, well, you've been a colonizer, you've been dominating. There are also legacies of resistance where people exactly. you know, stood up and they challenged forms yes. of oppression within the group yes. that people can hold on to as an example of what to be and how to be that's and how very, to kind of involve yeah. themselves today. I would think that's very important to have that, those two connected because yes. um, I've, I've my experience a little bit has been um, where quick, when I say we, those of us racialized white who are thinking about all this, to identify with the abolitionists, uh, to, to quickly identify with that without the other. But I can see, exactly. I appreciate what you're saying, because without the other, I yeah. don't- You have to go are. through that. Exactly. that process exactly. and what was interesting is that for me as being you know a black woman of African heritage you would have thought there was kind of you know reservations about people speaking up but they didn't because it's no. about creating an environment yes. where they knew I wasn't going to come up with well why did you say that or why are you thinking that or that's not correct yes. people were free to express that yes. reality and felt safe to do so, which I think is also important Very. for people kind of um, having the courage mm -hmm. to actually go beyond what they've been taught mm -hmm. and also to become what others have, you know, theorized and articulated as, as being race traitors. Yes. Because it, it does require one to be a race traitor in right. the sense of abolishing the notion of whiteness. Mm -hmm. um, and the negative aspects of what that stands for. Yeah. But for people who are racialized as white, if you say we're gonna abolish whiteness, then that has to be replaced with something. Yes. And that work yes. is also, in, we've got to pay attention to yes. what do we replace it with. Yes. Well, this is a, leads me to another question um, because I feel part of the, well, the big problem with the current paradigm is it's such an intensely secular paradigm. And I'm not talking about religion necessarily, no. but I'm yeah. talking about that sensibility of yeah. wholeness, of interconnectedness yeah. of life that is so alive in indigenous and global South right. and, and The despiritualization and, as exactly. it's been articulated. Yeah. Exactly, because I feel with that, um, yeah, the absence of any kind of, 
yeah, sensibility is the only thing I, real sensibility, not a more sort of superficial, there's quite a lot of that too, but mm -hmm. the absence of that makes um, an appreciation of a different paradigm quite difficult, I think. You know, part okay. of our work has been to profile voices and thinkers, not just intellectuals, but people like yourself who, Mm -hmm. who, who are living a different a different worldview or different civilizational absolutely um, thinking. and I feel that part of our journey I'm speaking as in the in the west and as you know someone who is racialized as white uh is to be open to that in order to find our own authentic connection to that again it's not about emulating indigenous customs no 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 exactly rediscover those exactly actually indigeneity yeah. within europe exactly exactly and yeah. a lot of the time yeah. those traditions were demonized they people were also yeah. persecuted mm -hmm. um let, let's you know so-called witches for yeah. instance who were who were often women mm -hmm. who were very in touch with the earth very right. in touch with nature herbs healing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and knowing the science mm -hmm. of life exactly and who were able to put together what people would call perhaps potions and things like that which they were not they were healing remedies yes but women like that and those who believed in that way whether they were women or not um you know were persecuted yes so it well, is about is. read and that's why knowing one's story one's history yes. is important Right. Because what's important is going back into one's own lineage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what you often find is that there's some relative, you know, in the not so distant past mm -hmm. that stood out mm -hmm. because they dared to go against the grain and they were perhaps ahead of their time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they did not conform to what was the status quo. Right. And it's finding those living examples, not just right. the, the big heroes and oh. sheroes that, you know, mm -hmm. but we all have them within our families and they're people who are like us mm -hmm. and um, who we feel intimately connected to. Right. So that's a, a key part of the journey uh, to right. remember, yes. to remember. Right, right. And to yeah, to remember. Yes. And no, exactly. And I, I feel and for me anyway the path to that has been and there's obviously many many paths has been uh oh an open opening up i think and studying with global south thinking or not just global south but indigenous thinking but asian thing you know to, to to as i said and living it one of the issues with that is that when I was when I was young, when I was in my early twenties, I left university. I actually went to India and lived there for seven years straight because you could do that then. It was so, you know, and because, because I wanted to immerse yeah. myself in a different. I went there because I wanted to immerse myself in a different thinking, and it 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 was only through doing that that mm. I began to question. Yeah. Now we can't do that today because well, for lots of reasons, you know, we have an endemic, we have a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> It's a big one. Yeah. So, you know, lots of us, myself included, are very yeah. hesitant to fly. So, I mean, that's it. But that immersion, um, yeah. I mean, we're looking at how can you find other ways to do that. And one is, as you've said, I think dialogue, genuine dialogue and experiencing a different, experiencing a different way of being um, 
with other cultures. Yes, yes. Is, is and, uh, and, and that's why we, we as, as African mm -hmm. reparationists, but particularly the movement that's coming out of the UK, we emphasize the pluriversality. It's right. because it's recognizing that there are, mm. it's a multipolar world. There are, world. there are many worlds within the world and right. different ways of being and um, inhabiting the earth, mother earth, uh, the different value systems mm. and the cultures as well and part of what colonization did was to to um make those cultures that are more ancient yeah feel as though they were less than exactly they were uncivilized they were devilish to all kinds of pejorative terms which got institutionalized especially through missionary education um through boarding schools and and uh, you know state uh, sponsored miseducation and so forth that the communities themselves ha had also internalized this um distorted sense of who they are but the process of repair is not a futuristic thing it's intergeneration the movement that i'm part of fundamentally as a reparationist is intergenerational. And um, it's, it, you know, recreates itself. And um, there's the African section, which, uh, you know, I refer to as the International Social Movement for African Reparations, but that's part of a wider, uh, what's referred to as the People's Reparations International Movement, which is everybody else who's going through processes of repair. And um, the vision that some of us have of this, you know, you were speaking earlier about, well, what are the steps? Mm -hmm. And um, the old, it's good to know what the vision is, because yes. for me, it's about a post-reparations world order. And because I'm an African woman, then I try and conceptualize that using African philosophical norms and concepts mm -hmm. and value systems. And um, we refer to this as Ubuntu Dunia, a multipolar world of global justice that is about communities who are in the process of repairing themselves and it's only when you are going through that process yourself and decolonization that you can have then have a true appreciation of another group or nation's right to do the same because if you know that's what brings you a sense of wholeness why would you want to deny or deprive another group from doing the same now the difficulty is when we elevate particular reparation struggles and think that that in itself is all that we need to do without recognizing that you can't have one group that is repairing itself, um, even internally without, you know, not to mention the external obligations that everyone else might owe to that group, but then live in a disrepaired world. Yes. Where everyone else is still thinking, well, the answer to things is, OK, if we're not getting on, let's just have a war and nu nuke yes. each other. We right. can't have that type of thinking. So we have to ensure um, that our repair processes also catalyze the repair processes of other groups. That's right. essential. Right. And I think it's actually what I would say is a civilizational task. Yes, it's a civilizational duty and it's particular relevant, particularly relevant to African people because we are mothers and fathers of human civilization. You know, all life, mm. human life evolved in the continent that we now call Africa. 
And so to be African is to be human. Mm -hmm. And our struggle for African reparations is about a rehumanization mm -hmm. in the sense of what we refer to um, in, you know, as Ubuntu, mm -hmm. which is we are people through other people. The highest way we can express our humanity is not just by how we treat each other within the group, even though within the group, we know there are groups and groups within, but it's also about how we can interface with other members of the human family whose bloodlines, um, we, you know, our blood runs through, through their own um, heritages as well. And so that vision is of a, of a multipolar world that's pluriversal, um, that is communities repairing themselves, engaging in what some would call today deep adaptation or transformative adaptation, being the change, um, rethinking the economy, moving, restoring notions of a gift economy, for instance, that's not based on just extracting and commodification, but it's based on recognizing that Mother Earth is living, you know, right. and that every time we take from her, we're taking from ourselves because we are in relationship Yes. And there has to be a sense of balance and we have to restore that balance and equilibrium in order to avert, avert the worst kind of potentials right. in terms of what's predicted of the climate and ecological crisis. Right. And within that Ubuntu Dunia, um, we as African heritage communities, we, we know that Africa is key mm. because a lot of the resources that are being used to further this system the um, indigenous peoples in uh, Abiyala, um, north of Abiyala, referred to as Waitiko. Right. Um, from an African-centered perspective, we talk about a Yorubu mindset. Right. It's basically an incomplete being. Yes. Uh, Waitiko talks about this cannibalizing spirit that you yeah. know eats up everything, devours everything. That's right. Um, but the only way that we can, um, you know, part of of eradicating that is also for us building the repair within our own areas um, that we have come to inhabit and so a lot of indigenous movements aboriginal movements for them it's about sovereignty they might not use the language of reparation but when right. they talk about restoring sovereignty it isn't sovereignty based on a Westphalian model of statehood. It's not actually about states. It's about, you know, being in, in harmony again with Mother Earth and all of our relations and reinstituting systems of, um, you know, the economy, our, our politics, our legal systems, our governance structures. Um, that don't actually lead us to the precipice that we're that we're on right now.